Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 504. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this wonderful network, please go and visit evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with Marianne Hartley. Marianne's a brand consultant and designer who loves to create irresistible brands through a consultancy, Hartley and Soul. Having worked on such projects and brands as the Queen's Diamond Jubilee pageant, Intercontinental Hotels, Toyota and Bacardi to mention a few, Marianne is a seasoned brand expert. In this conversation with Marianne, we discuss the challenges of building a powerful brand, her process for helping brands find and expand their image, as well as some of the great insights from her new book, Align and Shine, Gain an Unshakable Foundation to Build Your Legacy Brand. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And please, if you have a little moment, go and drop in a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Marianne Hartley, how lovely to have you on my show. You uh, and I have share some common languages other than English. And uh, you're a brand consultant, so therefore another uh, thing we share in common, passion for brand. You're also a designer, and the name of your company is Hartley and Soul, which of course is a lovely combination. And you're the author of a recently published book, Align and Shine. I'm great to have you on my show. Marianne, in your words, how would you like to describe who is Marianne? Oh, Minta, firstly, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. It's a joy to be here with you. And the way I describe myself is a brand designer, but I've also got a real interest in the mind, body, spirit. And so when I launched Heartly and Soul, it was really to bring energy healing and design together to create brands that connect to the heart. Tell us a little bit about your background in branding itself. So my journey started some years ago when I've first um, studied in Switzerland. I grew up in Switzerland and I've got a dual nationality. So I have roots in the UK and roots in Switzerland. And I studied graphic design in La Chaux-de-Fonds where Le Corbusier was also one of the students some years before me. And um, I then arrived in London in 94 with my portfolio under my arm and a list of designer dresses I wanted to work with. And I I got to work in some medium-sized companies that had some big, big clients like Toyota and Intercontinental Hotels and Royal and Sun Alliance and Accenture before it was called Accenture. Anderson. Uh, Anderson Consulting. So I... I had a, an in-depth immersion in branding and brand hierarchy and brand structure. And while I loved that aspect and um, creating successful and succinct brands, I also had a real interest in the sort of invisible part, the energy part of things, because we sometimes come across a design that either speaks to us or not at all. And I was really curious about what that is 
and in brands as well. There's brands we're attracted to and brands we're not. And what is that about? So that's been one of my inquiries. Yeah, there's there's some mysticism. I I mean, marketing in general is is rather a not a poo-pooed term, but something that many people are um think with less confidence or or not trustworthy trusting of marketers in general. And branding itself is is definitely a um, almost mystical kind of concept for so many people who aren't really in branding. Marianne, over your career, how would you say that branding has changed what with the new technologies and maybe the new philosophies and mindsets of people? Mm. I think it's change it keeps changing and it keeps evolving. But there are some constants. So when you look at brands that have been around and like luxury brands that have been around for a long time, say Rolls Royce, their core qualities don't really change over time, but obviously they adapt and adapt to the changing market. But what they truly stand for at the heart, these the, this quality remains. And then, I mean, the, the landscape has totally changed. Also, when I studied, it was before websites. It was before we had, we were all on computers. So, you know, I still experienced the sort of typesetting aspect of design and creating a layout by cutting out type. So a real sort of hands-on approach. So it's it's changed dramatically. It's on one hand, it's unrecognizable. And now we're going into a new era, which is a huge will be will have a huge impact on all our all our lives and all our businesses with with AI. And I don't yet know enough about this to talk too much about that part. But what I do know is that the the qualities, the values, and what a brand stands for inherently, these are constants that will remain. And in your experience, do you, to what extent do you feel like the brands we consume or purchase in society are more or less important? Is there a change in the way we perceive the importance of brand? I think we can go about not being aware of brands at all because it there's some some designs we we are used to seeing and we don't even question it anymore. But I see and I feel there's a real shift in people becoming more picky and more aware and more conscious in in how they consume different brands and who they buy things from because they're interested in what the brand stands for and the impact the brand has on on their people on also on the planet so there's much more more and more awareness around around that yeah and and something that i think within that is much newer as well as is the relationship between user experience the design of the product and the appreciation of the brand within it. And I suppose Apple is sort of the, the flagship type of design is my brand or design is very much a part of my brand. And for you, in, in, since you're so interested in, in, you know, obviously a designer, I was wondering to what extent your background in the pre-internet is either a positive or a handicap 
in terms of designing and 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 to how, to what extent and how does it become a positive to know that you knew you know how to do typesetting and and the original offset printing and so on i think it can be both and it depends from which perspective we look at it so i think the positive is understanding the journey that design and brands have gone through and that creates that creates grounding and a, a depth of understanding the drawback could be that you know is not moving fast enough and adapting fast enough but this is where every business and also every brand designer needs to be adaptable and and change with with the times so i personally see it as a positive because i'm i've always been interested in history and where and origins of things so with this as well it's like it's fascinating to see the journey that types you know the type creations have gone through how they were created in the past how they were hand drawn before now of course we can create and design fonts on um, online with a with a computer but they were literally hand painted to start with and hand crafted and i find that the that aspect still really beautiful and of course nowadays you don't want to spend your your days uh, painting painting a type but knowing how how everything has come about i think adds richness and and depth to to the craft and to the to this beautiful world well this business i i see within what you're saying a uh kind of a flashback nostalgia that we see in society with regard to vinyl lps the fountain pen slow time and I, I do feel like maybe it's a counter movement, but there is a, a genuine need for deeper humanity. One of the quotes I liked in your book, which I stripped out, which is the challenge of good branding is not only to have clarity and convey a single message, but also to invoke the depth of connection and nuances like a work of art does. And if you think of the art history or, or artists today, the one who doesn't have any knowledge of the past and thinks that putting a toilet roll on the floor is art, stripped of any history and context, it feels lightweight. But if you know the route to which we got to that toilet roll in the middle of a floor or whatever it is, then that gives it much more profundity. And I'm sure that that must be something that resonates with you. Yeah, and each each design and each item or each work of art depends on context. So just seeing you can approach a brand or a design just by looking at it and either liking it or not liking it. And that that remains um, can remain superficial. And on the other hand, when when it's created for a specific context and it, it stands for specific values, then it it, it becomes, uh, it, it has more, more weight and more gravitas. So on the other hand, it's all about creating a brands that instantly connect to your target audience. 
So I always get my clients to, to really go deep into the essence of what they stand for, who they're here to serve, so that what they are here to, to offer really resonates with the people that they're here to, to serve and help. It's like we have this need in our life. We look at books, read them by the cover, but actually it's about reading the book. So you have to have instant attachment, immediate appeal, click here, you're going to like me. But then you need behind that depth and nuance. And it makes me think of when I was at university studying literature, the critical analysis that would look at the life of the author as part of the study of the work brings another type of depth to the work and obviously the context within which the book was written. And similarly in branding, I'm, I'm just sort of riffing here. You, you know, you put us an ad 30 second spot, you know, get by this great new thing. And, and yet today for me, branding is so much more about the relationships that one has within the company first, and then amongst the, suppliers and clients with the people working within the organization. So that becomes the, in, in my parallel idea, the author. And then you have the 30 second spot being actually the painting or the, the call to action, the cover of the book. Yeah. And it's like the, a company that, that has a great employee culture stands for something bigger than just than just creating profit. So I believe when, when there's a big vision behind the company that really drives every aspect of the company. So, so the founder, the CEO, the employee, the, the management to the receptionist, everyone knows what the company stands for and is in their own way connected to the vision. It creates it creates like a bigger entity. So, so the company stands for something greater than just an, a means to an end. It's there to, to transform either a, an area of life, an area of business, and really making uh, the world better for, for people or for consumers or making a product easier to, to use. So there's always a, um, a solving of a problem. And when the vision is greater than just our immediate needs of uh, uh, survival, everyone gains gains energy, and everyone can can participate in their own way and feel like they're part of something bigger. So that's within the organization and also outside, so consumers and employees. So it feels like uh, at some level that alignment to this bigger purpose is actually closely linked to the value add, which is a different way of looking at it. I like that. Uh, one of the things you you write about, and I subscribe to in, in a massive way for having lived about it and talked about it in my last book, is this notion of inside out. So I love that piece within your book. You say, create your brand from the inside out, not the outside in. Uh, and And you think of that approach inside out as being more expansive, nourishing and uplifting to use your words. Here's the thing. When you are a large organization that's existing or a total startup, in both cases, 
creating that purpose or making it live throughout the organization is for very different reasons, very difficult to happen. And I was thinking, let's just take, let's just start off by talking at the, the, the startup, the entrepreneur. I've got a problem. I'm solving it. Here's my fix. It's great UX, blah, 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 blah. You've been in existence for six months. When does one actually really purposefully come around making that brand happen, making that purpose happen? I mean, because you can start talking about purpose and you haven't even made a penny. It feels like a little bit lightweight when you're an investor saying, all right, you know, enough of the purpose thing. <laughs> you need to make money. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And it's starting a business without a vision is a bit like setting off in, in the woods. At the same time, you need to explore your product and test it out first to see whether your idea is just a great idea in your mind or whether it really is there to solve a problem and whether there really is a need for it. So to answer your question directly, I would test out a product first, sort of put out the idea, um, see what traction it gets. And when there is momentum, then at that point go, oh, well, I've, and you also learn things about you and the product and your business during that time. So whether it's six months or a year, it gives you it gives you a flavor of the market. It gives you a flavor of the things you really enjoy doing, the things you don't love doing at all, where you will need to get uh, support or outsource. And through these experiences, you also gain an understanding of why, what drives you and what has the most satisfaction in it for you and also what brings the most satisfaction to your customer. So I would do, I would focus on the, the big vision once you've, once you've had a little bit of exploration. So set out with an idea or, you know, a, a drive in the very beginning, test it out and then confirm that vision once you've got some traction. I, I see two flaws in the marketplace often happening. The first one is, well, I've got a great brand name. I've got the URL and my brand is this, and I haven't launched the product yet, but I get really super focused on it. And I, this is the typeface I want to use for the brand. And, and this is the color coordination ambiance I want to have. And, and we, we go about almost creating the ad before the product is sold. The second one, which probably is more common is not to think about brand. And, mm -hmm. and and despite having worked for four or five years, not having sort of coalesced around what is our experience, what is our culture, and how do we really want to fasten, is that's your French word, our, our brand for the future so that as the founder, I can step away and it continues to live on. And I, 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 sp I suppose that's where people like you come into play. Yeah. What I've noticed is, the founder really holds if the founder doesn't hold the vision then no one it's it's like no one has a compass so the founder needs to be really clear on on the vision and we've seen this with with apple and steve jobs as long as he he was there with the vision now apple is still a great product but it's we'll see where it where it goes and how it evolves but with a company 
that grows very quickly without a clear direction, there's um, there's several challenges that come about at that point because it is like setting off driving without without knowing um, without compass or without uh, sat nav and really getting probably getting lost along the way. So focusing on the on the bigger on the bigger vision and the greater outcome is is fundamental to the success of a brand and also to to the well-being of employees because you can if you don't know which direction you're going in you can quickly burn out hello this is gary chachot welcoming you to check out the french history podcast our main show covers the history of france from the first humans until present If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Well, I, I very much agree with you on that. And and something that I, I talk about looking at the governance of corporations and the presence of the founder and or founding family uh, who continue to have at least influence, if not ownership which creates a very different dynamic than the big corporates. So coming back to that problem, the big corporate, who's got a well-known brand name, it's a name everybody knows, but there's no soul in it. There's mm. no heart or soul in it. Then that becomes a different type of challenge. And I'm assuming you've done work with, you know, as you mentioned, like Toyota and folks like that before. How does one go about articulating that if I'm working in a large company, I feel that the company doesn't have heart and soul, doesn't have a living brand, or it has a brand, I mean, well-known, but it doesn't feel like it's very humane. What would be, I mean, what do you need to do? Again, that it comes back to the values. Every, every company, even if it's a multinational, has core values at the, at the heart of it. And if they have been diluted or sort of lost along the way, it's important to re rekindle them and reignite them because, again, that will be for the benefit of everyone within the company, but the products that come out of the company. And I believe more and more when there isn't a connection with, with the values and the higher outcome, consumers aren't so interested in just consuming they've consumers are becoming very savvy as well and they also want to to be part of something that is meaningful and that has value for them and it's not not just being used as a product so consumers not being used as a product so Re- reinstating the values within within the companies and we see big brands acquiring smaller brands that that have the the heart and soul within it for example you know pucker teas being acquired and innocent drinks and brands that really set out with a, a very strong a strong purpose and you know a lot of 
a lot of passion for what they what they were doing and a real niche problem they were solving. So I guess for large corporates, acquiring smaller brands is one way, but I believe at the heart of the large corporates is also really re reconnecting and reinstating what their biggest purpose is. Well, I worked in a large cosmetic company that saw fit to buy lots of little niche brands because in a bit unable to have that passion truly expressed through the incumbent brands. And, and then what inevitably happened is kind of you crush the individuality of those smaller brands through the systems and synergies and then the cross-fertilization of people, which renders it much less specific than it was in the first place. So a tough thing to do. One of the things I, I loved, uh, one other concept you had in your book, Align and Shine, um, you write, contribution is the antidote to disconnection. Uh, it fills this void that we have. So talking about connection. So give us a little bit more surround sound around this word. I love the word contribution. What do you mean by contribution and how can brands or people and companies consider contribution? Mm, I love that you're asking this question. So I, I feel or I've noticed one of our main challenges is that we, we have this sense of feeling disconnected, often disconnected from ourselves, disconnected from each other. And we've gone through an experience that has literally disconnected us all for some time. And this, we can also, the, the way advertising has worked in the past can also create this sense of disconnection within ourselves. So, you know, buy this product and then you, you will feel good. But when you buy the product, it's it's actually the product cannot fulfill that that sense of um, void that at times we can all feel. So contributing is a way of is um, is expansive and it's it's um, it's an it's an expansive energy that makes not only you feel good, but everyone who who is involved with with that product or with that um with that concept and um, i'm not sure i answered your question so well. no you you are you are i mean obviously for me this notion of contribution is contributing back to a bigger piece than just the product that we're creating so it's back to something you said before a, a bigger purpose Yes. Within which lies the contribution. Yes. And it's also, there are brands that feel that are more extracting and there are brands that are expanding because they're giving, they're giving back. And I, I believe we are all connected and we all depend on each other and whatever we can do to, to keep this um, cycle going of, of taking, but giving again, then that will have a, a greater impact on, on the well-being of everyone. Touche. I think the well-being, as you say, I'm an energy healer and a brand designer. Um, on this notion, you, you talk quite a lot about specifics of design. Mm. And uh, I, I, I read one passage and I went, uh-oh, 
I'm glad I didn't write that. <laughs> and here's here's why. And, and of course, I, I understand it and I believe it, but it's not something I would have felt comfortable writing in today's world. Uh, circular is more feminine. Square is more masculine. Uh, you know, I, I could see some people say running off with that and saying, well, you know, that's not true. You're being stereotyping and such and such. Uh, yet, do I fundamentally absolutely agree with you? How do you react to that? Yes, I know this is can be a, a very sensitive subject. When I talk about feminine, it doesn't mean necessarily man or woman. Or rather, when I talk about feminine, it's not related to women only. So there are feminine and masculine energies within Good women Jung, and men. In Jungian fashion, right? <laughs> yes. And we we nature is made up of of both. So so there are these differences and neither there's not one that is positive and the other one is negative. We need both in their full expression to to have a very um a well-functioning world. And what has happened at times, we can see that it has gone too far in one direction. And then things get out of balance. Uh, relationships get out of balance, businesses get out of balance, and it's about creating a, a strong um, a strong sense of both and the qualities of both the masculine and the feminine, because they're meant to work together, not against each other. And shapes have something more feminine and more masculine. Of course they do. <laughs> and we should be allowed to say this. It's just a more a reflection of the, the state of the world that I would have that as an uh-oh kind of feeling. Yeah. And I think it speaks back to an original question I talked about or asked with you about. Why is branding more important? And you, you use the word void and an imbalance. I feel today there is such a, a sort of a craziness and chaos that in this void there, the role of brand, whether as employee or consumer, is filling a void, if well done, if it's a nice work of art. Create When you create a brand from the inside out, that is an expression of what you stand for, the reason you're doing what you're doing. It, it has an energy about it that is really beautiful and obviously the design needs to needs to be beautiful as well i've always found that when i when i'm in a a museum or a gallery and looking at my favorite work of art i really get a sense of um connection but also of of nourishment and it's always been my real vision or my biggest dream to to create brands that are that are nourishing to everyone who who looks at them and uh, people who consume them and people who are working within within that company and that brand. So so it has a giving a giving energy. And I believe we're at a point where we need we need this nourishment and we're all yearning for some for meaning and for creating um a positive impact and making making our contribution yeah this giving mode 
contribution. Um, so one of the key concepts in your book, uh, you talk about the three stages of evaluating, creating a brand. And uh, so I want to react. Uh, the, the three stages are dive, discover, and define. Uh, and afterwards, I'd like you to give a, just a short top line view of what that means. But here's what I reacted to that. Um, for dive, left brain, they discover right brain, and then define is this combination of both right and left brain activities, or let's say more rational or more emotional. And I love that. And um, I, I, I thought of what, what makes a genius? And it comes back to the artistic world. Uh, for some crazy moment, probably after some psychedelic experience, I, I decided that all geniuses have this combination. They have knowledge and understanding of the core art or the core you know, uh, subject matter. But they also bring to it this flair, this je ne sais quoi, an intuition, a connection with their gut, some heated passion within them that's un irrational at the highest degree. That is the combination that allows you to get to genius. Because without the first, which is the foundation, the base, the knowledge of what has come before, the giants on whose shoulders we are being born, then it kind of feels detached, disembodied, and almost lucky. And then the, the intuition thing, people can have intuition without knowledge and things can happen, sure. But the real genius is when you, on top of knowing how to write music, you, you bring your flair into it. So that was how I read that piece, uh, Marianne, I, I delightfully. Mm. So um, first, you can react to that, but I also want you to top line for us. What did you mean by the dive, discover, and define? So when I wrote the book, I realized that I'd been using a structure in an intuitive way, and I wanted to describe the different stages. And really what I noticed is that it's so important to have the rational part, sort of the, the questions that really are we know and it grounds us. But also, if we only focus on that part, there's a huge dimension that's missing. And I feel and I've noticed that often the intuition, the intuitive part or the heart part, if you like, is, is lacking because we focus on, on the thinking and then on logic and on making it work, which is brilliant. We need that. But when we add when we add the intuitive part and the connection to the heart. So it's really about linking the mind and the heart. And by doing that, it becomes a much fuller experience and a much deeper um, experience also of the brand. So uh, this is why sort of the, the logical mind is crucial. We need, we need the brand to work. It needs to be successful. It needs to make money. And it needs to have this bigger impact or this, um, this drive that is not logical, that maybe is left field, and that only we can only access through connecting with, with our heart and sort of doing a deep introspection. And I use a, a process which is like a meditation, and that takes us into the heart, and we get symbols that then inform us of the quality that our logical mind would never allow us to have access to. 
Well, what you're saying, Marianne, reminds me of a another interview I had not too long ago with the brilliant mind of David Gluckman, who wrote the book, This Shit Won't Sell, uh, which um, in which he talks I've about- met, I've met David. Oh, you know David. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Well, and um, so he's amongst the many people that we have in common. So in your book, you you reference uh, my good friend Marty Newmeyer. Oh, been yes, on my, Marty. He's been on my show a couple of times. As oh, amazing. Well as Dan Priestley. Um, but David very much believes that A-B testing is the downside of, of this intuition thing. You need to have mm. one big idea and you need to feel it in your gut and you need to mm. believe in it. If you start doing market tests for every mm. color, every brand typeface, what you're going to end up with is the biggest old hodgepodge compromise, useless, not standing out type of brand. So I was wondering to what extent you would resonate with that thought. Yeah, I do. I do resonate with that. So it's also in a way a reverse engineering, sort of going with the, going with the intuition, going with the gut idea, and then making it bringing it doing the nuts and bolts to make it work if you do it the other way around it's it's not as powerful but we definitely need both and well, like mean, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint uh marianne my feeling is so many of the bosses with whom we interact our clients they are typically left brain wired individuals they come from they have the big mba they have the big brain they like uh, the, the, there's a French uh, term which is uh, goes um, thèse, synthèse, and antithèse. No, thèse, ant antithèse, and synthèse. Or so you have a thesis, then you have the antithesis, and then you have the the synthesis of the two, and and it's very structured. That's the way they like it. So if you don't deal with them that way, very blue minded, very rational, logic minded people, if you don't cater to that component they'll look at you like voodoo. Mm. Yes, that's very possible. Right, so good Good to bring both to the play, to the play. <laughs> Absolutely, but I, I, do, I do believe and feel that when we only focus on the logic and only, um, only, do what we, you know, what the mind tells us. That doesn't that doesn't go to the the highest expression of what the brand or the business or we are here to do. So I want to finish on one uh, other part of the book that really got me um, thinking. Something I, I had come across, which is the work that you cite from Dr. David Hawkins. Mm. who, uh, and, and you talk about these energy frequencies and uh, power versus force. Mm. And so here is where I, there are two, so in his uh, analysis that you, you write about, you show how certain things have very small forces, uh, small energy frequencies, and, and generally negative in tone. And then you have on the other side, the positive ones, and you have a weight. So the one that really got my gander uh, and I wanted to debate this one with you, Marianne, was <laughs> 200 for courage. Mm. For me, I feel courage is something that's deeply lacking. And in the context within which we are trying to do branding and stand out, I feel like 200 is is very lightweight. 
or a light uh, evaluation of what's needed positively in the market, which along the lines of what David might say, you need to have the courage of your bloody conviction to have this, to believe that this is what the brand should be. And it should be Bailey's. And this is why, and we go with it. Yeah. Too much of our society as well. Oh, we want to be nice to everybody. We can't displease anybody. Oh, well, let's test. Let's bring in a big company to justify the reason why we're going to launch it with this name. As opposed to, I'm a founder. This is what I freaking believe. And this is what we're going to freaking do. So I wanted to debate this, uh, the 200 ranking <laughs> for courage. So, because the highest, the highest is at a thousand, right? Right. For enlightenment. And that's, that's a state of mind and it's a state of being that is incredibly high energy. So I hear what you're saying about courage now when the brand is led by the highest intention say of think love is just underneath now you you've probably got the the the, <laughs> the scale in front of you so when the brand is driven by the highest intention courage sort of comes with it so if you drive with courage alone there's not as much intensity or not as much energy behind it. And this is why, this is why courage is so much lower, if you like, than, than love, because love goes beyond. It's love is for everyone. It's not just about yourself. I love the way you turn that around for me, Marianne, because I was, I was all mystified and got a little jumpy on it. But that is a brilliant way of, of redu- reviewing how that works, because I haven't obviously read Hawkins's work. And you have uh, the other ones with joy and peace, which are much more, I would say, expansive, to use your term from before. I, I feel that in, in, uh, in today's world, we do need to have more align and shine. So, Marianne, in your, um, what would be the best way? Thank you for being on my show. What would be the best way for people to grab your book or get in touch with you, connect, follow what you're up to, your daily writings or musings? What, what would be the best way? Well, the best way to connect would be on LinkedIn, Marianne Hartley. And the book is available on Amazon, Align and Shine. And I can share the link in, in the transcript below later on. And Minta, thank you so much for inviting me to your show. It's been a joy to explore branding with you. And um, yeah, I wish everyone very, very well. Super. Thank you very much, Marianne. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minta Dialogue podcast. If you like the show or would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Dialogue. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on mintodile.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Feel
feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free. Trust is a reason. Still, I won't tell the lie. I sit here passively, hope for your respect, anticipating the thrill of your intellect. Maybe I tell myself. In me lying. I'm a convinced man building an urge. I'm a convinced man to live and die submerged. A convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man challenge my fate. I'm a convinced man competitions in me. Of a woman, despise revenges and struggle with deceit. Live for the challenge, so life's not incomplete. What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger. Trust in my reason and let me show you why. I'm a convinced man practicing my lines. I'm a convinced man hearing these confines. A convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man admit to the test. I'm a convinced man.
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.